Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Dell, for those of you who don't know me, and uh, we're in a series right now called A New Way of Thinking. Um, and we're kind of exploring against the backdrop of the fact that when we think about our lives, um, there are many surprises. Uh, one of them being that life is often much more difficult than we would have imagined. Um, and we're just asking the question, like, at some point along in life, how do we actually respond to the way life actually is and move forward in a way of thriving. And so we've been looking um, in the last couple weeks at a couple principles from God's word, wisdom from, from God, that help us to deal with life um, in all of its facets. Um, and we talked the first week about the idea of awareness. So awareness is basically has to do with what we see. And, you know, we could, we could say that, that we could never, we don't really move beyond in terms of change or transformation um, our perspective. Or we have to see something before we can actually address it. And so we looked uh, the first week about uh, how the Bible gives us a lens to accurately view ourselves, but probably even more importantly, to view God rightly. And we looked at the story of, of Hagar and how her, her perspective completely changed about God when she realized that God was actually seeing her, that God was the one who sees her at her lowest moment, one of the darkest moments of her life, that, that God was still seeing her with compassion, with love, and with promise. And how living with that awareness changes everything about our lives. And then last week, we looked at, uh, with Pastor Dan, the concept of acceptance. How uh, there's a little bit of a, something counterintuitive to this idea that when we actually embrace our lives and own up to them as they actually are, not how we hoped they would be, but how when we actually embrace them as, as they are, that becomes a foundation that gives us access to reality, number one, but secondly, to God's grace, because God, God meets the person um, actually in the place of humility, in the place of honesty. And so Dan helped us to see how there's a little bit of a counterintuitive there that we can, that we can in God's grace, look at our actual selves and what's really going on there honestly and find help and power uh, in our places of actual need. Now, this week we're going to look uh, at a third principle. It's the principle of awe um, and why it is key to transformation in our lives. Now, last week um, we had the, the privilege as a family of, of being out in Colorado. Um, and it was, it was great, four or five days in the mountains. Um, it's hard to capture in photos, right, how incredibly awesome parts of God creation, God's creation are. Now, we know this from just living in the Great Lakes because, you know, 15, 20 minutes from here, we can stand on the, on the cusp of the greatest, you know, freshwater bodies of, of you know, of water uh, in, in the world. And, and it, if we have eyes to see it, it it'll produce awe. But I, I know that for us, as we sit in the middle of these vast mountain ranges, there's something about the grandeur of the Rocky Mountains that just catches your breath short. I mean, it just stops you in your tracks uh, when you're standing before one of these mountains, you're really not in the frame of mind to go, oh, well, let's go get a Slurpee, you know, or whatever it is. You, 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 uh, you're stopped by the vastness, right? And in that, in that moment, you sort of get a, a feeling of how big God's creation is and how small, right, um, that we are in, in comparison to it. Um, and it produces awe a sense of transcendence, that something is bigger and beyond me. And that's really what all is in its various forms. All 
is the feeling we get in the presence of something absolutely amazing. Um, and one of the characteristics of awe and amazement is that part and parcel of having that experience is, that, is it challenges the usual way we see the world because what we're seeing is so amazing that it doesn't fit the categories that maybe we brought to it. Um, and awe uh, is, turns out to be incredibly important in the process of change and transformation, which is the purpose of our series, right? A new way of thinking about change and transformation, all so critical to this aspect of our growth and of our transformation. Um, in fact, in many ways, we could say all is, is a key to transformation. Now, uh, from, a, from a sociological standpoint, um, evolutionary biologists have a hard time explaining the experience of all. Why is all such a universal emotion in human beings because uh, it's easy to explain why we would have fearful emotions, right? Uh, emotions of fear cause us to adjust our behavior to avoid threats, therefore promote our survival. But why, why on the other side of the coin is the experience of wonder, of beauty, of transcendence, why, why, why is that part and parcel of the human experience? And of course, as as Christians coming to the, to the scriptures and the revelation of God, it's because we're made in God's image. And God's intention for us as human beings is much more than simply to survive our lives, but actually to move into thriving in our lives, to, to experiences of joy and of peace and of love that Jesus came to bring us. And awe is, is a key to tapping into that. Um, I'm going to give you 10 ways that awe actually affects the transformation process of us as human beings. And the first is this, when, when we have an experience of awe or transcendence or of beauty and we're captured in that moment, it does have the effect of slowing us down. Have you noticed that? You, you, you stop in your tracks, you stop to notice, you're captivated by something beyond yourself. Um, and what's happening if you were hooked up to, you know, like uh, medical devices, is it would show that your whole body system is actually slowing down. It's calming down. Um, there's a sense in which awe has, is an antidote to anxiety and to panic and to, and to fear because, it, because in these experiences, we actually, we actually are calmed. But secondly, awe checks our assumptions. Now, here, we don't think about this every day, but, but do you realize that the things that you see, the things that you experience, are largely shaped by what you've already seen and what you've already experienced? You've heard the saying, you see what you want to see. And it's interesting that Jesus went around calling people not only to repentance, but to a new way of seeing. He was constantly saying, if you have eyes to see, then, then see. If you have ears to hear, then hear. Pointing out the fact that many people have experiences of things in life all around them that they can't see and they can't hear because they're so committed to the assumptions of what they've already determined that they're not open in ways that allow them to see. Now, the brain is actually wired to be very attracted or attached to the familiar. This is why horror movies always happen in the dark, right? Because something about the dark, incredibly frightening because it's part of the unknown. Um, it's also why uh, we long for resolution. You know, have you ever heard a song when someone plays it and leaves off the last note? You, know, you want to run down to the piano and go boing, you know? 
because, because it'll, it'll play through your mind longing for resolution. Um, there's some good things about that, but the bad thing is that we need to recognize that we bring incredible closed mentalities to so much of our life because we've already decided what we believe. We've already decided the way the world is. We've already decided how people are. We've already decided how we are. And one of the things that awe does is that it checks assumptions. When you find yourself up against something that's bigger than your categories, your mind is being open to the fact that there is something beyond your assumptions. Does that make sense? And so all is critical to change because in order to move from point A to B, would you agree that you have to leave point A? And so if you're unwilling to, if you're unwilling to leave point A, you're probably never going to get to B. And this is why it's so key to change all is so key to change and to transformation. All in the same kind of vein helps us consider viewpoints and perspectives that are other than our own. They help us to value the fact that God has a perspective on things that's bigger than us, but also people have things to bring to the equation that are different than ours. All helps increase our curiosity. You know, there were so many times last week when I would come across a meadow of flowers with all this wild diversity or these grand peaks or these waterfalls or whatever it was, and you just think, not only who made this, but how and how does it work? Um, and experiences of all actually activate questions and they, they pique curiosity and therefore they are key to learning because learning, in order to learn something, it actually involves that kind of posture of actually having a question that's an honest question that's being driven from your curiosity. Awe makes us collaborative. You know, um, when you turn on the news today, one thing that's missing um, in our conflict styles is that we're not very collaborative. Would you agree? Um, if you're conservative and you get, you get challenged, you tend to, people tend to become what? More conservative. If you're liberal and you're challenged, you tend to double down and become more liberal. And our whole society is polarizing um, around extremes with very little room in the middle because, in part, um, we are not collaborative. And awe, experiences of awe, and the posture of awe, the humility that comes from awe, the curiosity that comes from awe, changes people's conflict styles. It makes us more open and collaborative. Uh, we look at situations and even in the people that we disagree uh, more openly and differently. All encourages helping. You know, it's interesting when, when people have just gone through experiences of all and they're more open to the viewpoints and perspectives of, of others, they also tend to care more about them. They're more willing to help them. They're, they're, more, they're more inclined to be generous. Uh, are, you might even say they're more inclined to be loving in the way that they interact with the planet, but also with others. And then all actually counters sadness, you know? Uh, one of the mysteries of life is that good can coexist alongside of bad. It's one of the biggest lessons to, to learn in life because when we're overcome with our wounds, our hurts, with grief, um, those emotions are so powerful that they can become a kind of lens through which we see everything, right? It just colors everything a shade of gray. But all has the power in itself to, to, to pull us into something that is beyond our immediate experience, and therefore it can pull us out of sadness and grief. And so part of the reason why we're going to see in a minute that all is God's plan uh, for you in life with him 
uh, is that he wants you to, to uh, overcome singular experiences and to be able to hold things that are seemingly opposite together in your life experience. And then 10, awe opens us to risk. It's interesting, when you've had an experience of transcendence and otherness, um, and you've, you've been filled with inspiration through something that's big or beautiful or amazing, um, you are more willing to try new things um, and to take risks. And risk, uh, I want to suggest to you this morning, is closely related to faith. And we know that, the, that the, the Christian life is a walk of faith. So part of it is believing God. And when we are filled with a sense of his awesomeness, his greatness, his bigness, how amazing he is, how other he is, we are more likely to trust him. And we're more, we're more likely to walk uh, the walk of faith. Now, I want to I turn our attention now to the story of Job in the Bible to, to talk about this concept. Um, and I don't know if you've read the story of Job recently. It's an ancient story. It's an old, old, one of the oldest books in, in the Bible. But it also deals with something that's universal um, to human experience. Because Job, the Bible tells us uh, in the first three chapters, this was an upright person. He was, he was a person who, in every respect, was living the, a good life. Um, and part of, part of his experience, as he lived this good life, was that the goodness of his life was leading him into blessing. So Job was a man that was not only good, but he was a man who was greatly blessed. He was wealthy. He had a beautiful family. He had peace and favor with his neighbors. People looked at him as a model of wisdom um, and respectability. And so this was Job. And, and we're, we're told in the first chapter of Job that God actually affirmed that this was indeed so, that Job was upright, that he was righteous, uh, that he was good, and that he was blessed. Um, but in the story of Job, the Satan comes to God and he reverses the formula. He says to God, basically, the reason that Job is good is because he's blessed. And if you were to take away his blessing, so too would go his goodness. And so in the, in the book of Job, in this dialogue between the Satan and God, the Satan is given permission to touch the blessings of Job. And in a very, very short matter of time, Job loses everything and everyone that he loves. Um, his entire household, including all of his children, are, are killed by raiders who also steal all of, in, in, in natural disasters, and they also steal his possessions. Um, and his wife, in her grief and depression, turns on Job and basically says, curse God and die. So he loses that connection and support from her, and he's left covered from head to, head to toe in boils. So his physical body and his health is, is stripped, and he's left sort of in, in ashes, and it's interesting, as you read the book of Job, Job maintains his integrity. He refuses to curse God, and yet, like any one of us would have, he rides a roller coaster of emotions for 30-some for chapters of the story, where he is trying to make sense out of the conundrum of an assumption that he had made about life, which is that if you lead a good life, you will necessarily be blessed. And here he was with the question, why? Why, God, have I lived a good life and yet everything has fallen apart and my world is full of pain? Um, and he rides this emotion and his friends actually come 
um, and tried to convince him, uh, according to this formula, that because his life is no longer blessed, there must be something about his life that is not good. So they hold to this formula and say, basically, the reason you're suffering is because you've done something evil. And the quicker you can confess it, the quicker this whole nightmare can be put behind you. And Job is sitting there going, no, like, honestly, that's not what happened, right? And so eventually he gets sick of these friends. And he says, God, I've got to talk directly to you about my life. It's incredibly difficult. It does not make sense. I've got more questions than I've got answers. No one around me can give me comfort or help. And I don't believe it's fair. And I want to talk to you about what you're doing. And he asked God for a court date. He actually says, set the date. You know, me and you, God, and we, we, will, we will have a courtroom scenario where you try me and explain to me uh, your actions. Now, it's interesting that probably the most surprised person in the narrative is Job when God actually takes him up on his offer. That's in chapter 38. He actually shows up in a whirlwind and begins to speak to Job about his questions. But it's also interesting that God never directly answers the question of why. Instead, God comes to Job with an experience of all. That's why it's relevant for our discussion this morning, because God takes Job over the next four chapters on an awesome tour of the universe and of an awesome revelation of God in the midst of it. So chapter 38, God takes Job on a crash tour of the cosmos. He actually shows him the stars, the planetary movements, the laws of nature that govern the earth, and he asks him a series of questions. And put yourself in Job's spot here. You got a, you got a beef with God, You've got questions about your life you can't understand. And God says to you, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You're like, um, not present. Then he says, have you ever commanded the morning to appear? Or handled a sunset? Job's like, um, negative. Do you know where the Gates of death are located? Oh, no, that's a mystery. No. Can you direct the movements of all the stars? Now think about what we know now about the vastness of space. Um, and Job is utterly caught breathless before the awesomeness of a God who every single day handles complexity that is beyond his imagination. And but God is not finished. And so he goes to chapter 39. He, he begins to ask Job about not only the, the, the complexity of the cosmos, but now the details of it. And so he begins to ask Job about various animals. He's like, oh, by the way, have you considered the antelope and the deer that cover the planets? Like, do you keep track of when they give birth or where? Um, and by the way, their maintenance and their daily feeding like, and provisions, 
ever handled that department? Then he says, uh, he says to Job, like, uh, what about, what about the infinite chaos that is actually part of our world? In chapters 40 and 41, he's like, have you considered the Taliban or the wicked and the havoc that they're wreaking all over the earth? Um, Care to sign up for that? In matters of justice, in the affairs of governments all over the world. And then he says, have you, have you considered the behemoth or the leviathan? And you're like, what's that? Well, like, some scholars think like, the, like maybe the dinosaurs or a sea creature, like you know, maybe a whale or something else. There, But in, in the mythology of that time period, the behemoth and leviathan represented chaos. In other words, they were things that God had made, but they were beyond the lurking things, the mysterious things beyond human control. God is really saying, listen, do you realize that this entire world with all its complexity and detail is also a place of extreme chaos? With, with, with interactions, millions of them going on every single day that I know all about, but that you have no real capacity to like understand. And the sum total of this experience for Job was not to introduce answers to his concrete questions, but to give him an experience of the greatness and awesomeness of not only God, but the world we live in, the mysteries of it. And it, it changed the nature of his questions. Because Job then has this response in chapter 42, 5 through 6, where he says this, God, I had only heard about you before, but now my eyes have seen you. Think, think, think the Rocky Mountains, but times infinity. I take back everything I said. I sit in the dust and ashes to show my repentance. In other words, to show, show my change of mind, my change of perspective. Because awe and the awesomeness of God changes everything about our posture and our perspective in life. It is key to our transformation. Now notice in Job's transformation. He sees God, the most awesome being in the universe, and it shatters his previous assumptions about just about everything. He sees God in his awesomeness and he's filled with a new curiosity. He has new questions, not just about what he sees and his judgments, but about what God sees and about all the mysteries that are involved in that and in the, in the wondrous world that we live in. And it fills him with curiosity. He's humbled. He's humbled. In fact, he slows all the way to a sit. And he changes his mind about reality, which we've just learned enables him to reimagine his life and his future in a completely new way. And this is how awe works in our lives. Now the question then becomes, how do we cultivate awe? How do we cultivate it in our lives? 
I'm going to give you five things that I think can help us um, to cultivate this experience of all and therefore transformation. Number one, we need to make time for experiences in nature. You know, the, the scripture tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. You know what that means? It means that we have two books of Revelation. You're holding one in your lap, some of you, the Bible. But God has written one for you all around on the outside these doors. And it's called the book of nature. And they're to be read together. So as we make time for experiences in nature, uh, we cultivate experiences of all that come from God. Because there are things out there that are bigger than us. There are things that are more amazing than us. If we have eyes to see them, it will reset our perspective on a daily basis and bring the humility, the curiosity, and the openness that will lead us to growth um, and to a life of love. Now, my wife is constantly telling me, look at that, look at that, look at that. And I'm like, I'm driving. <laughs> but here's, here's the truth about my life. I'm always driving. Are you like that? Are you, always in, are you always in gear? Make a little time for experiences of, of God's grandeur. Make a little time for all. Secondly, we need to store and review experiences of wonder uh, with our senses. You know, God gave you your five senses for a reason. They're part of your spiritual life. Um, and by the way, you are not just a brain. You're not just an intellect. You are more, you are more than your cognition, okay, which is what we tend to def def defer to um, in the West. Um, and we need to learn how to use our senses in order to cultivate all. So the scripture tells us, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good he has done for me. I have a friend um, who whenever she's in an awesome place or an awesome experience, she actually makes a little time to use her senses to store the memory. Um, so she'll take a minute and get quiet and she'll look and just try to store, e notice everything in her, in her, in her memory um, of what she sees. That's beautiful. Just take a few minutes to look. And then she switches senses. She goes to her hearing. And she's standing there and she closes her eyes and she just listens to all the sounds that are around her. And then she switches senses again. And she starts to Breathe in the awesomeness of the place and see all that she can notice. And, and, then, and then she switches senses again and she begins to feel things that she can store that memory from. And, you know, if, as you work your way through your senses, you store memories in ways that you can pull them up. Um, and you can be driving your car um, in eastern Colorado and remember western Colorado. And if you've ever done that, you know what I mean, right? You can pull it up because you've stored and remembered it. Um, what is your strategy so that you don't forget the awesome moments, awe-inspiring things uh, in your life? Number three, approach your surroundings as if you were seeing them for the first time. There's an interesting scripture in Proverbs that says, a person who is full refuses honey, something sweet. But even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. So a person who is full refuses honey, but bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. You know what this means? That 
the experience of all is much as much about your attitude as it is your surroundings. You know, one of the crazy things to me last week was we were in some of the most beautiful places, and then there were still people all around looking down, not up. You know where they were looking down at? Yeah, their, their cell phone. Um, they were in the middle of awe, captivated by Instagram. So the challenge here is to see your surroundings as for the first time. Like maybe this afternoon, the best thing you could do for your spiritual life is drive immediately to Lake Michigan and look at that lake for the first time with a new set of eyes with eyes that are, that are hungry to see God. For pay attention to beauty in all its forms. And then connect them to God. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift that comes down from God, to us from God. So the, the art here, you know, there are people um, who end up being so inspired by nature that they worship what? They worship nature. But the point here is to connect these experiences of goodness and beauty back to their source, right? To God himself. And therefore to strengthen your worship and your experience of God through these things. And by the way, it's not only the big things that are amazing, it's also the small. So as far out as you want to go, you find amazing. As far down as you want to go, you find amazing. My, my wife, every winter, photographs snowflakes with a micro camera. Um, and, you know, they say that no two snowflakes are, are alike. I don't know how they verify that. Um, but it is amazing to, to look at the intricacy of just a single snowflake um, and be amazed, to be filled with awe at the intricacy of God's design. I was talking to Dave Cook uh, after last service, and he said, let me just have 15 minutes on telling them about the eye, you know, and it'll blow their minds. And he's right. Um, because we are surrounded by wonders, great and small. And then number five, this. Disconnect regularly from the disconnectors. And this parenthesis is for me. Yes, that means your cell phone and your compulsivity. Um, that's another sermon. We are, we are incredibly compulsive. Uh, so the language of God is not only go, but it is Stop. Be still and know uh, that I am God. And, and there is no way to cultivate wonder in our lives without, without both. Okay? Now, let me just close by saying this to you. You want a new way of thinking? Add a little awe to it. Add a little awe to it this afternoon. Um, and this week, your assignment is to go on a great awe adventure. Um, and to fill your mind and heart in many places, big and small, with beauty and with goodness, and connect them back to our great God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this community of saints, friends. Um, I pray blessing on them. I pray, I pray experiences of awe over them. May they be filled with transcendence and with beauty. And with goodness, may they have an encounter with your complexity, with your detail, with your providence. 
May all the good effects of humility, of openness, of curiosity, of generosity, of learning be theirs. In the name of Jesus, um, amen. Go in peace.